Welcome to C3 Church Central Coast Sermon Cast. We pray that you'll be inspired and impacted by this message and trust that you're better equipped to live your best life. Thanks. Yeah, so we were supposed to be there for 13 months, ended up being there for five. So I <clears throat> just wanted to show you, first of all, what, a bit of what it was like. And you'll have to excuse my voice this morning, I'm afraid. Um, <clears throat> so if we can get a slide up. Um, you know, in some ways, it's just like living here. You know, you, you eat breakfast and you brush your teeth and you go to work and you come home and you go to bed. So it's pretty much like living in Australia, uh, except that it's also like living in another universe at the same time. Like, is uh, so the next um, You know, you see scenes like this all over the place. And the next one, it's, uh, it's a beautiful country. Um, and the next one, uh, this is us at a beach. You kind of hire a boat and you go along the coastline till you find your own beach. There was no one else on that beach and, uh, and you, you grab the beach for the day and then you go home. So, so there, there are things about it, while it's different, it's a, a beautiful place to live and there's a really nice lifestyle. Um, next one. You can see there the, the women are all covered up. That actually became normal really quickly. Um, you know, just after a couple of days, um, we learned some, some important cultural things. Um, I'll show you an example if I can get you to stand up, Ruth. This is, um, shake my hand. That is about the most offensive thing you can do to a woman in Yemen. In fact, if Chris had done his duty as a husband, he probably should have tried to beat me up for doing that. Because <laughs> it, shows, it shows that he didn't love his wife because he didn't step in. Yeah. So, I mean, there's all things like this that you have to learn when you're there, but it's, it's good. Um, so, so we enjoyed it. There's, you can see a bus in the background there, that little van. It's the buses that they have. The doors are open, so you hang on to your kids as you're driving. Um, you know, there's lots of beggars, and it's barren, and there's poverty. And, um, but next slide. The, the, people are, um, the people are very hospitable, very friendly, very welcoming. Um, they're not all terrorists. They, um, they don't like Al-Qaeda. Um, they're just people trying to do life. They just need to hear about Jesus. And it's not like they've rejected the message. It's they haven't heard the message. They haven't had the opportunity to reject it. Next slide. So it was warm and it's dry and we loved it there. Um, on an average day, you go to the next one. On, the next, on an average day, Fiona would teach some missionary kids sort of to free them up so they could do their work and, uh, and I'd play stay-at-home dad and then Fiona would come home for lunch and I'd go off to work in a business training company and they taught biblical values like trust and cooperation and integrity and leadership and things that just um, blew their mind um, and when things were good I'd go into town at night and, um, and really enjoy the culture because the place sort of came alive at night um, ministry, though, was, was hard. You had to be careful about how much you could say, who you could talk to. You even had to be careful in the emails that you wrote. You couldn't use certain words like Jesus and pray. You had to code all that sort of thing because that was, they were like trigger words. Um, so here's a picture of us at church. So that's church. That's a little bit different to what we're experiencing here. Um, so you've got windows shut. You kind of meet in different houses every week so that you don't um, bring attention to yourselves. Um, uh, we don't want to create a pattern by going to the same place uh, and when I came back here the first morning I was here I was just so struck by the freedom the freedom that we had in worship and, uh, and I was just really I felt like I had to tell you not to take that for granted yeah 
Um, next picture. So one day I was walking down the street and uh, just looking for some lunch, and these men start running past me. And, uh, you know, they're coming out of the side streets and, and uh, yeah, they were running like they were desperate to get somewhere. And I just sort of went with it, went with the flow because I wanted to see where they were going. This is where they, they ended up. They ended up at the mosque. And as it happened, I just thought, I've got to say that when I get back to Australia to my church. Like, how good would it be if, uh, if we were so desperate for God, you know, that we ran to church? You know, at 10 to 10, people are running down the streets of Wyoming to get in here. Imagine if there was a Muslim walking down the street and there were Christians running past to get into this church. Um, that was, so, I mean, they, they are devout people, just misguided. Um, but, yeah, I learned a lot about desperation for God while I was there. Um, just quickly, a couple of things that I, I learned. Um, I believe that this church can reach nations and, and not just our neighborhood, not just our neighborhood. It's not one or the other. It's both. It's not in our power, though, of course. We can only do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and I learned also that if you're going to share Jesus with people, you better be full of him yourself. You've got to be full of his love. You've got to be overflowing. You've got to have something to give. And, uh, and uh, God really spoke to me about, about manna when I was in Yemen. Because God gave the Israelites manna when they were in the desert, so they had something to, to live on. Manna from heaven. It was a miracle from God. And they wandered through the desert. That's what, they, that's what they fed on. And they weren't to keep leftovers. They weren't to hang on to it for the next day. And this is what I've learned is that Jesus is my manna. And, uh, and I need him fresh, daily. That's what it's about, being in his presence, fresh, daily. Yeah, that's the main thing I learned. Um, so next slide. You know... Um, uh, yeah, and I also learned you can't reach the whole world, um, you know, in one foul swoop. It's one person at a time. This is a Somalian guy here. Um, he's a refugee. Next slide. And uh, so I'm going to hand over to Fiona to talk about an experience. Um, we had the um, amazing opportunity to get to know um, our language teacher, an Arab woman, um, We'll call her Susan for um, security reasons. Um, she would come and teach us Arabic and she would come into our house. And um, when she would come to our house, she was actually amazed at how we ran our household. She couldn't believe the relationship that Michael and I showed to her and how we raised her kids, raised our kids. Uh, she's a single mum with a five-year-old boy and a five-year-old girl and an eight-year-old boy. Um, to be Arab or to be Yemeni is to be Muslim. So to be Western is to be Christian. So the images that she sees on TV, she thinks they're all Christians. She would say, "Isn't your aren't Christians like desperate housewives?" And we would um, we would have to say that not everyone on TV is a Christian, and we have Jesus as Lord of our life. And we are uh, trying to raise our kids accordingly. Um, so we, she asked lots of questions and, and after lots of prayer and consideration, because you have to be careful in this place who, who you share you know, the deepest part of your faith with. Um, I read to her Psalm 139 and um, she was amazed that God could love her, this, 
She's a broken woman. She's a shamed woman. She's had to divorce her abusive husband. She's had to go back to her father and his home, and he's also abusive to her. So in her world, she's just this nothing. She's nothing. But for her to hear that God could love her, she was amazed at. And then I prayed with her, and I was praying. I was just praying just like I normally would pray. And then I opened my eyes, and she was just staring at me. sort of like what and she said I will never ever forget your face she said I was amazed at how open you were praying to your God God in in the Muslim world is this God that's far far away he's distant he's judgmental he's um he doesn't necessarily love them you know they've got all these procedures that they have to do to pray to God and for her to see me just just pray just pray like God's my best friend was amazing for her um and then i had the amazing privilege of uh, reading the bible with her showing her um an arabic bible that we had she was amazed that we even had a bible let alone i had one to give to her in that country bibles are not allowed um you can't go down to the shop and buy a bible if you want to you can't even download it on the internet because it's all um censored so um i was able to share the gospel message with her and um and give her a bible um, now, I guess I'd love to finish the story that way, but um, the Arab world is a complex one and this lady's life is full of complexities. As I said before, she's had to divorce her abusive husband, so she doesn't have her kids. Um, the court actually gave her custody of her kids last October, but she's yet to have them with her. There is a fuel shortage at the moment, so she can't even drive to visit her kids on Saturday or catch a bus because there's hardly any buses operating. There are people lining up for days to get fuel. There is gunshots in petrol stations because people are just desperate for fuel. So this lady, she she went to the courts last Wednesday. They, the the ex-husband's lawyer said she will have her kids. She was waiting in the courtroom with her, her toys for her children, waiting for them, and they never turned up. And she just was saying, just pray. Oh, oh God, my, she was in her last email, she wrote, oh God, I can't even get to my children. So this lady, she has not asked Jesus into her heart yet, but she's such a broken woman, um, just in so in need of, of love and knowing that there is a creator out there who loves her. Um, so it is our prayer that she will come to know Jesus, that she will get her kids again. She's a fiery, feisty woman, and I, I believe if she came to know Jesus as her Lord, amazing things could happen in her country amongst the women there. So, um, yeah, so I just thought that just gives you the... There was lots and lots of women there, but it gave me the opportunity to know the women behind the veil, and that to me was just such an incredible privilege something that I'll never ever forget and something I'm so grateful that I got to experience so um yeah thanks awesome come on why don't we pray with you you pray for this friend of yours Susan and we'll pray along with you for her come on Fiona you pray 
Father God, I just lift up Susan to you, Father God. I just pray that you will touch her in a mighty, mighty way. Father God, come to her in visions. Come to her in dreams. Let her know that you love her, Father God, that you love her, that there is hope, that there is hope in you. Father God, bring her children to her. Bring her children to her. And may she just give you the glory for it, Father God. Lord, the one family, the one Christian family that is left in the city of Arden, Lord, I just pray. I pray they will have many opportunities to minister to her. I pray that she will come. She will come and visit, that she will come and um, get to know you more closely as her Lord and her Saviour, Father God. And Lord, we just pray. We pray for the country, the country of Yemen, Father God. Pour out your Spirit on that land, we pray, Father God. Let this Arab rising just bring glory to you. Let them open their eyes, Lord. Take away the scales from their eyes and let them see, let them see that you are Lord Jesus Christ and that you are the hope for their nation, Father God. Bring them to their knees, Father God. Touch that nation, we pray. Touch that nation and the Arab world, Lord. Touch the Arab world, we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good praying. Very good. Thank you. Wow, it's powerful stuff. Come on, give me another clap. That's what it's all about, isn't it? You know, God calls us to change the world uh, just one heart at a time, one life at a time. And uh, and now Elizabeth Dean is hopefully here. There she is. Come and share. Uh, Elizabeth, this is a really um, closer to home. Just, uh, again, powerful stuff of just how God moves. Hi. Uh, I just have a testimony that I'd like to share of God's love and his forgiveness. And it's a personal testimony. Uh, It began about three years ago. Actually, four years ago. My mother passed away in 2007. Now, my mother was a really godly woman. She served God. She preached in the church. She counseled all the marriages in the church. Whenever anyone got married, they were counseled by my mother because she'd been married for 60 years. So she knew a little bit about marriage. So I had a godly mother where as my mother was dying, she called in a solicitor And she's decided to make me the executrix of her will. Now, when she made this decision, I I don't think she knew exactly what she was putting me in the midst of. Uh, So I have a testimony from that period. I have uh, three brothers. I had four siblings. My sister died young. I have three brothers. And uh, my life with brothers has been somewhat challenging over the years being the only girl amidst three strong men. Uh, And when my brothers, I have two older brothers and one younger brother, when my brothers found out that my mother had given me this responsibility as executive tricks, there was a bit of a ruckus, to say the least, started to happen around my life. So for four years I've been in a big battle. I've had many people praying for me and I've been praying. But what I want to share with you today is that God caused me to walk in love and forgiveness towards my brothers because we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. 
And sometimes the enemy will use those ones we love and we want to be close to to come and attack our lives. So I, with my brothers, uh, I, first of all, used God's wisdom and made myself accountable to one of my brothers. My brothers, in my, on the male side of my family, there's great bondage of addiction, alcohol and drug addiction. So my brothers come from that place of alcoholism. So sometimes their minds aren't very logical. So they got it in their minds that I was going to, in their words, feather my nest with the money that I was to be responsible for. I had no intention of feathering my nest. My intention was to honour my mother and father and to honour my brothers by taking care of my mother and father's business to be a blessing to all concerned. So for these four years, I've had numerous attacks come against me verbally. I had one brother was going to take me to court. And all the way through this, I've been crying out to God, saying to God, why is this happening? Why are my brothers turning on me like this? One brother I'd made myself accountable to, and he was such a blessing. He was a brother who cared for my mother and father for six years at the end of their life. So God has honoured him. And he was a blessing to me because he would sometimes speak to my brothers, although they didn't listen to say that I was trying to do the right thing. So in wisdom, I made myself accountable to one brother so he would know everything that I was doing with the finances. And God said to me, as I was walking through this and I was crying out to him, Father, why is this happening to me? I want those brothers to love me. They're the only kin I have left. And God said to me, you will walk in forgiveness. You have to love these brothers through. And I'm going to do work in you. And I'm like Peter. I said to God, as each hurt will come, I said to God, how many times do I have to keep walking this path? And God said, like he said to Peter, 70 times 7 and beyond. And every time I had to go and I've had some uh, prayer counselling with some trusted people that I trust with my heart over the, t- over the four years to, to get my heart right. Because like Michael said before, we want that fresh manner. And I want that fresh manner in my life. And I want to keep my heart right. So I had to walk 70 times 7 and beyond to walk through that forgiveness. And then... As I, as I kept walking through forgiveness and each trial that came along, and even this brother threatening me with taking me to court with legal action, I, sometimes when I would cry, I would feel God say to me, don't you be crying, don't you be crying, get up and pray. War, it's not, you're not fighting this battle in the flesh, you must fight it in the spirit. So I'd get those prayer warriors, my beloved Pastor Ruth and other people would pray with me and I'd go up there in the heavenly realm and I knew I would have a victory in this but I had to walk a walk. So it would be about a month ago I had to uh, organise all the sale of my mother and father's property, get everything ready to distribute the inheritance. And on this particular day, I decided that I would ring my younger brother who particularly was quite aggravated by me. So 
So I rang my younger brother and I said to him, it's coming to the end now and you're about to be blessed with a godly inheritance. And I don't know why you hate me, but I choose to love you. And my brother broke down on the phone and he began to repent. And he began to weep and say sorry to me. And um, I had it in my heart. I said to him, it's over. I forgive you, it's over. And that very afternoon, my parents' property sold and the money just all, everything just flowed from that point on. He rang the solicitor that he'd engaged to come after me. He rang and said, don't bother coming. And God did a great healing in, in my family. Also, my older brother, uh, he found out that my younger brother had repented and he repented and I was able to forgive him. And then I said to God, I said, I forgive them, but I, I, I don't want to put my head in the lion's mouth. But you know what God said to me? He said to me, when I forgive you, your sin, Elizabeth, I don't say I'm not going to let you too close because you're going to hurt me again because God knows I'm going to sin and hurt him for the rest of my life. But God gave me that real revelation that when we forgive, we can then love and love without, without that, that, that unconditional love, that agape love that God has for us. So I just wanted to encourage people today that, you know, God says, but if you are willing to listen, I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. Someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. Someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give if anyone asked, and whatever things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. And that's my heart. And I'll just share a little bit further to that testimony. That inheritance uh, that my family has given it's like my mother still sows even after death and she's up in glory and I know she's in the cloud of witnesses because I feel her mantle of prayer over my life and several times I just feel her spiritually that she's looking from heaven with Jesus and smiling and she's happy and her blessing to us, to her children, is now being sown into the church. My mum tithed all the time and so some of her inheritance even after death, her money is still being sown into the work of God. So I just encourage you, if you've got issues with people, if you've got unforgiveness in your heart, whether it be when I was praying this morning, I saw some people have some unforgiveness towards their parents. Some people need to forgive their husbands and their wives. Some people may need to forgive their siblings like I had too. But as we walk in that place, as we can walk in forgiveness to others and those who hurt their, hurt us, there is great freedom. Although it can be a battle, and my battle was four years long, but I've come out in victory. And my family, there's been a restoration because Jesus is the restorer of the breach. And I encourage you, I encourage you, have forgiveness to each other. Even in church, we can be hurt. Someone can rub us the wrong way in church. We need to forgive those ones too.
And if you don't know Jesus today, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus, he's the master one of forgiveness. He forgives our sins. So if you're one of those people here today who may need to know God's forgiveness, there'll probably be opportunity at the end of the service. And I encourage you all to receive that forgiveness. Amen. Awesome. Come on, I want us all to stand up and pray. And Elizabeth, you lead us in a prayer along the lines of what you shared and, and into our community too. Pray for people. Father God, uh, Father, I thank you that we love because you first loved us. Father God, I thank you that we can forgive those who hurt us because we've experienced your forgiveness. Father God, I thank you that Jesus went to the cross for love and to draw us. He draws us to him. He draws us to you, that you forgive our sins, that though we will be white as snow, we shall be pure as wool. Father God, I thank you for our community. I thank you, Father God, that many will come. Many will come and experience your forgiveness at the cross of Christ, that then your mercy seat, Father God, they will come to your mercy seat before the cross of Christ to receive that forgiveness, to receive that love, that freedom in that love. There's such freedom when there's forgiveness. There's such a release in forgiveness. Father God, I pray for everyone here today, whether their hearts have have unforgiveness, where they've been hurt, that they be able to forgive those ones that have hurt them, that they would lay down a fence at the cross of Christ and be resurrected in your power today. In the name of Jesus, Father God, bless people, Father God, bless them. Father God, that we would even make a list of those, you know, your word says, whatever so things we forgive others, you will forgive them. That it's such a responsibility to walk in forgiveness, Father God. We can release people to you. And Father God, I know that you're going to bring my brothers to the cross of Christ. I just know that in my heart, Father God. Father, I pray for them that they will come to Jesus. They will come to Jesus, Father. Shaturi that you draw them with cords of love. Father God, that we, we would be vessels of love to draw people to Jesus. Like Michael said, one at a time, that we draw those ones, we draw our kin to Jesus, Father. Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Give Elizabeth another clap and encourage her. Thank you. That's, um, that's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? Um, I want to share very briefly um, and picking up on something, particularly what uh, Michael said. Uh, actually, a few weeks ago, I shared from the scriptures um, in Colossians. It says in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And I talked about the, um, the fact that Jesus wants to be an umpire settling issues in our hearts. And it says, since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. Notice those last three words, and be thankful. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, and be thankful. Go on, tell them to be thankful. If it's your husband, you can say, be thankful for me. Um, now, Michael said, and he said it again today, but when we first, when the first Sunday they were back from, um, coming back from overseas, he came up and he was, he was very touched, almost overwhelmed with how wonderful it was for us to be able to worship publicly. 
with, with good music in a, in a public setting. And uh, he mentioned it again this morning. Uh, something that we have on a regular basis. And it made me think, well, how grateful are we uh, and how grateful am I for the fact that I can worship God publicly because I, if I'm not careful, can take it for granted. Um, how, how thankful are we for things that are constant in our lives that, again, if, it's easy for us to just take it for granted and, and we have something all the time, we might not appreciate it as much as if it's fresh and new or when we don't have it. And, uh, and not only that, we can actually find our energies focused on things that we can complain about and, um, and we can lose sight of all the wonderful stuff that's going on in our lives. And so we've got a choice. And I just want to talk about being grateful and to, uh, to be thankful and to have that attitude of gratitude that is very much a biblical concept because it says it there, be thankful. And that many times in scriptures we're told, be thankful. It's just an attitude that we need to develop and adopt. And, um, and again, you know, if we're not careful, we can say, oh, yeah, well, I'm thankful, to, depending on the circumstances. You can just find yourself reacting to the world around you and what's currently happening in your situation. So maybe when something is brand new, oh, it's exciting, it's different, that's, that's something I'm thankful for. But then after a while, it's no worse, it's still there, it's still wonderful, but you're just taking it for granted, whether it's worshipping publicly or your husband or your wife, or your kids, or your job, or something that's just a, a constant, things that we can be thankful for. And then, as I said, if we're not careful, we can also find things to really complain about. Uh, and we're continually given this choice to develop and adopt the attitude of being grateful uh, or, or not. And, um, and the people of God that Moses led uh, through the desert had this choice and we learn from them. We kind of learn what not to do, don't we? Because they slipped often into grumbling and complaining. And there's one thing that I was really spoken to and I, I had this prepared to share about this and I, when I heard Michael saying what he wanted to talk about, it was very interesting how he said, I just want to say that the, the time that I had over there was wonderful because every day I appreciated the manna that I got from heaven the manner that I have from Jesus in a daily bread kind of way. And, I, and it was funny when I spoke to him because I said, that is exactly what I've been thinking about in Scripture and thinking about the Israelites. Um, because when you think about uh, the, 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 the Israelites, the people that, you know, they left Egypt and they went through the desert and that was only supposed to be a short trip. But God kept them in the desert for 40 years for them to learn some lessons. And there's a lesson for us, you know. How often are you going around around the mountain or going around in a desert place where if you could learn a lesson, you could move into that promised land, move into the promises. Um, and uh, and they, they had this critical, complaining mentality and it was associated with this sense of entitlement. I just realized when you think about them that they, rather than appreciating everything they had, they somehow felt that they were entitled to things, entitled to things that was really more than what they deserved. And, and that can be a, a, a pretty common attitude uh, in our day and age as well. If you think about manna, they're wandering through desert uh, and God miraculously provides food for them. And they didn't have to work for it, it just appeared. And every morning, the Bible says that when they got up, 
there were these thin flakes on the ground like frost and they were just told to pick it up. And in fact, manna means what is it when they first saw it. They said, well, what is it? And they will call it what is it. Uh, we just call it manna. We don't know what it is. And, but it was awesome. Exodus 16 says it tasted like wafers made with honey. I mean, Arnott's would sell that. You know, they, that's a packet of biscuits. That's a, that's a cool thing. And it was something they had never seen. It was amazing. It was new. It was cool. It was trendy. It was the latest thing. You know, it was like Tim Tams all come out with different versions of Tim Tams. This is Manna Tams. And it was, you know, with slices of heavenly honey flavor or whatever. And, uh, and all they had to do was gather it and eat it. They, they, they didn't have to, you know, hunt for it, search for it. They didn't have to worry about it. It was miraculously provided. It was direct from God. God told them just collect it. And he said, collect only enough for each day because I'm going to give you fresh manna every day. And not only do you not have to wait, you can't wait because it's going to go bad. And some people tried and found out, no, no. So it taught them to rely on God every day. And that's why Jesus says, pray, you know, give us today, God, our daily bread. He doesn't say give us something that we can store up and then figure out for ourselves the next 20 years. Like Every day we need something from God. And so they were being taught to rely on God, but they were also being blessed in this amazing way. Listen to what the Psalms say. Psalm 78 verse 25 says, Men ate the bread of angels. We're talking about manna. The bread of angels. That's pretty cool stuff. Because God brought it from, from heaven and rained it down. And it's pretty amazing. Who wouldn't be grateful for that? The Israelites. That's who. You know? They got tired of it. After a while, they wanted something different. They thought, oh, no, it's manna, it's manna. And they got over it all too quickly. Listen to what it says in the book of Numbers. They began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. That's bull. They're practically slaves. It cost them a lot to live in Egypt. At one stage, they actually were so deluded with complaint, they said, we should go back to Egypt where it was flowing with milk and honey. No, duh, no, that wasn't flowing. It was flowing with straw and dust in your mouth. They had no, that's why they were heading to the land of milk and honey. They're getting it all distorted. and they haven't. Sorry, I'm getting I'm back to the scriptures. We remember the fish we had in Egypt at no cost. Also, get this, the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions and garlic. It's in the Bible. I'm not making it up. You've got a problem if you're craving foods like leek, onion, and garlic. That's what I want to say. You know, really. I mean, maybe my wife makes a nice, healthy soup. I feel very virtuous and nutritious here, babe. It's good stuff, you know. But it's, you know, leeks, onion, and garlic soup. It's not, you know, give me manna. And so, and it says... But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. That's Numbers 11, verses 4 to 6. Now, as I said, you've got problems there. And, and, of course, we would never do that, would we? Or would we? Because we have the bread of angels every day. We have our version of that. The very breath you breathe is a gift from God. You're forgiven in Jesus. You're given new life. You've got fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You've got the Word of God, which is food for our souls to live by. We've been given the privilege of prayer. 
We've got a life of purpose with a commission as an ambassador of Christ to tell people about him. We're his church, his bride, his body. We can worship God without fear of um, persecution. We enjoy fellowship with other Christians. We, we have the opportunity to be discipled by other Christians and to be followers of Jesus. And all this is more than we deserve. This is, this is the food of angels, the bread of angels. This is our version of manna that we can be thankful for. And get this, not only do we have the promise of living a fruitful, productive, fulfilling life here on earth, we have the ultimate promise of going to heaven and spending eternity with God. And so that's pretty cool. And yet, how often do we wish for something different, something new, a new house, a new car, I want a holiday, I wish I had more money, I want a better job, I want nicer things, I want different friends, I wish I had different teachers, different parents, different husband, different wife, you know. And, uh, and when we don't get them, we're disappointed because for some reason we think we're entitled We've got this sense that, well, you know, there's a certain level I'm expected to live at. Well, who says? You're lucky. (laughs) You know, you're alive. It's just you've got breath from God. The rest is, it's all given to us, everything. We're not entitled to anything. And and if you live with that sense of entitlement, you are only going to be disappointed. You're only going to always have the bar so high that experiences don't reach up to it, and then you're going to feel down, and you're going to draw other people down with you. Because when you're disappointed, discouraged, critical, complaining, what does it do to the people around you? You know, It just pulls everything down. But if you're thankful, if you've developed, cultivated an attitude, it's not changing your circumstances, it's changing your attitude. The same life can be complained about or it can be appreciated. The same situation could be a point of problem or something to be, you know, wonderfully excited and blessed about and so if you're thankful you you you, first of all you bring glory to god because you're expressing it you're you're praising god and he he appreciates it that's reasonably important don't you think but secondly you're going to be a blessing to other people because you're you're more buoyant in your spirit if someone's thankful and they're not worrying about themselves and thinking about themselves and focusing on their the, you know, self-piteous kind of life, then they're going to be available. They're, they're up for life. They're up for giving. They're reaching out. They've got something to offer and they're attractive and they're energetic and they're willing to give their time, their talent, their treasure, you know. And thirdly, you're going to be blessed yourself if you're thankful because you really do smell the roses. The glass really is half full and you're thinking about how much more you've got to drink, how much not, not how much you've already drunk and the glass has got a chip in it and it's dirty and the water's probably impure and, you know, got some impurities in it and it's pollution and, uh, and the carbon tax anyway. I probably can't afford to drink it. And, uh, you know, it's just, you know, everything. Just at the moment, it's carbon tax. All the doomsayers. You know, does anyone know what it is, let alone worrying about it? It's the carbon tax. All I know is it's going to ruin our lives, you know. And global warming. And, and, and there's always something to worry about and, whinge about, you know, Labor in power, oh, the, yeah, Julia, Kevin, what are they, they, liberals getting power, oh, no, Tony's got no idea, and yeah, it doesn't matter, there's always someone to have a whinge about, no matter whatever your, you know, political persuasion is, or, you know, whatever, you can have a whinge, or you can be thankful, and, you know, studies have shown that people who are happy are healthy, 
that people who are thankful live happier, healthier, more productive lives. And so uh, I, I, I thought that was wonderful when I heard when the Matthews first came back. Just, yeah. And again this morning, imagine people were running, running to church like he saw the Muslims running to the mosque and he's a Christian being caught up. I'm in. I mean, for all you know, he was going through a riot. You know, hey, wow, there he is. You know, you're looking at the TV, you know, protests in Yemen. And then, oh, that's Michael right in the middle. What have I done? No, no, I'm not. I'm not. Ah, you know, who knows? Fortunately, they were just going to the mosque. But <laughs> anyway, it's just a little image I have. <laughs> Michael, you know, waving an Aussie flag. Kangaroo, where's my passport? I mean, but hey, we should be thankful. And, um, and of course, we've, we've left communion to the end of the service. We can do that now because we're thankful for our life. We're thankful for our friends, our family, our country, our, our you know, everything. But, of course, we, we give thanks to God for Jesus. And let me finish with this scripture that wraps a couple of things together. You're just going to be handed a little bit of bread, a little bit of juice. We just collect all this handed out I should say and um, and then we'll pray in a moment but listen in the book of John Jesus was talking and he says in verse 48 I am the bread of life your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness yet they died but here is the bread that comes down from heaven which anyone may eat and not die I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus is the living bread. Isn't that amazing? And so when you think this morning about what you're entitled to, well, in ourselves it's not much, is it? But because of God's grace, because of Jesus, we've been given so much. We're then called children of God and heirs. And so on that basis, we're entitled. But we need to keep an attitude of gratitude, appreciate what we have and not complain about what we maybe don't have. We thank God for our, our manna, amen, our bread of angels, and especially for Jesus, our, our bread of life. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this message and feel challenged and encouraged. Please let others know about this free podcast so they too can grow and learn to live their best life. You can find out more about our church and ministries at www.c3cc.org.au. God bless you.